Hello and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place where we share creative and inspiring learning in our schools. Season 3, episode 38. Hello and welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast with me, Mark Taylor. Today I'm delighted to welcome Dr. Melissa Hall, who's a clinical psychologist from the US. Um, And I met Melissa last week at um, Podcast Movement in California um, and we were chatting about podcasts and and the whole education system and it turns out that Melissa has the unique standpoint of being taught in school but also having been homeschooled as well so I thought it'd be really interesting um, from a teacher's point of view to actually hear some of those really insightful things that you can get from homeschooling which maybe we can then bring back into the classroom so hi Melissa and thanks so much for joining us. Hi thanks for having me. Um, Great could you just um, take us through a little bit about what your schooling was like um, and how you started in school and at what sort of age and and why homeschooling then became a really good option for you? Sure. So I did start school um, in kindergarten, which in the U.S. here is about age five. And we typically have elementary school from kindergarten through grade five or six. Um, We don't have very standardized schooling here in the U.S., so the system actually does vary pretty greatly depending on what state or county or city you live in. But typically that would be elementary school. Then middle or junior high school would be grade six, seven, and eight, or sometimes just grade seven and eight. And then high school would be grade nine through 12, which is typically ages 14 through 18 for high school for us. And then we would go on to college. So I began homeschooling in third grade when I was about nine years old. And the reason we did that, um, my parents decided that they, well, I guess to go back a little bit further, my dad was in the military, so we moved around a lot. And that made it a little bit more difficult because there isn't a standardized set of lessons. So for example, in the US, one county might learn how to read at, um, in kindergarten and one county might learn how to read in first grade. So because there's that great variability, my parents actually put me in a private school so that they could at least then search out different private schools depending on where we moved so I could stick with the same curriculum, which looking back is pretty smart, right? Yeah. So, um, so that did help because I did move to a couple of different schools. So even though I only went to school until third grade, I was in three different schools. Uh, throughout my schooling time and was able to stick with that same curriculum. And so if we moved in the middle of the year, for example, you know, the classroom I went to was literally on the same lesson I had just left off. So I didn't have to worry about mixing anything up. Um, But when we moved our last move, my parents weren't very happy with the school. And because it was a private school, you know, they're actually paying money for the private school. And it, it really wasn't working out. So my parents decided to take us out of school and try homeschooling just for the rest of the school year until they could figure out what to do. Basically, uh, homeschooling wasn't really a great option for them. It was sort of a, well, this is our only option at this point until we can figure out what we want to do later since we had just moved to the area and they weren't quite familiar with everything yet. 
So that's why we started homeschooling. And then it just so happened that was right, I think, the same month that we were taken out of school was when my dad was called up to Desert Storm. So he was deployed. And this would have been, when was that? I think it was like 1991 or something. And it worked out really well for our family because my dad was a pilot and he would actually come back to the States every three weeks or so. So even though he was deployed for, I think maybe six or seven months, we were still able to see him in person every three weeks, but we had to drive up to New York state and we lived, um, in the Washington DC area. So it was about a, I think like a seven hour drive or something. So it was very doable, but would not have been doable if we had been in school because then we would have been every three weeks, you know, we could just drive up whenever we wanted. If it was a Wednesday, a Thursday in the middle of the day, it didn't matter. So we, the flexibility just worked so well for our family that my parents then, we just kept doing it and it kept working out. And so we actually were homeschooled all the way through high school until my brother and I both went to college. That's amazing. And and I think one of the biggest things there is is the flexibility. And I've, and I've heard that before with people sort of from homeschooling points of view. It's just that, you know, not having to be at the same place at the same time every day and every week. Um, and that's a really, really big thing, which um, seems important, and especially in your scenario there, like you say, because it's incredibly important to be able to to go in and you know and 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 catch up with your family and everything i mean that's that's incredibly important um and so those early days when you first started being homeschooled what was the thing that you found the 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 biggest difference between the the being in school and then actually just being at home all the time yeah i mean the biggest difference for me was the flexibility and i should mention i actually loved school um i loved being in school my mom said when i was like three years old, I was, you know, as soon as I could talk or whatever, I was asking, when can I go down the school bus? And (laughs) so um, I was never a kid who had, you know, a negative interaction at at school. Um, I mean, of course, I got in trouble and stuff sometimes like normal kids do. But, (laughs) you know, I mean, all in all, I loved going to school. It was never, never a negative thing for me. But homeschooling gave us that flexibility. It was really nice to be able to wake up whenever we wanted to, um, to watch TV shows, you know, as a kid, it was fun to just be able to like watch cartoons in the morning before we started schoolwork. And one of the biggest things, uh, which I know that you and I had talked about was that the time I actually spent doing homework and schoolwork reduced dramatically. Um, and that's because my mom was able to tailor the lessons a lot more to me personally so, for example, I remember doing, I, this is a really significant memory for me, I was doing a math lesson and they had, it was like 50 problems or something to do of like basic addition, subtraction, multiplication. And it's just, you know, rote work doing it over and over again. And I asked my mom something about it and she said, oh, well, you don't have to do all of those. And I was like, what? And she was like, yeah, you can just do every other one, or you can just do these first 10, um, you know, something like that. And I was like, really, you know, why? And, you know, my little nine-year-old brain, I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. Right. And then she explained to me the concept of busy work. And she was saying, well, you know, a lot of times the teacher has all these kids in the class and, you know, the teacher needs time to work with different kids. She was like, but you already know it. I know that you know it. You're fine. You sitting there and doing it, 
you know, 50 more times is not going to help you necessarily. So it was really cool that I was able to tailor a lot of that stuff myself. Um, and then pretty early on, I would say probably from fifth or sixth grade or so, uh, and I'm a person who has a lot of initiative just naturally, um, I started planning out my school years myself. So I would, at the beginning of the year, go through all the lessons and I would just count them up and say, okay, there's this many lessons of English, for example, in my book. And I would say, and then I would look at the calendar, okay, there's this many weeks. And I would say, okay, if I do three lessons, three days a week, then I'm kind of working ahead. And that gets me, you know, this many weeks off in the middle of the year. And I would, you know, I would just talk to my friends and it would be like, okay, they're having winter break at this time. So I'm going to take my winter break then. Mm -hmm. They're having spring break. And so if I had two friends that had different spring breaks, I could have two weeks off for spring break. Um, and it was pretty easy to plan ahead that way. So that was, I think, the biggest thing being a kid early on that I noticed the level of flexibility, not just with time, but also with when I could do my work and how I could do my work. And I guess I was sort of creating like a, a batching or a block schedule for myself pretty early on. And 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 where did you do your work? You know, did you sort of always generally sit down in, in the same place and it's like now it's work time or was it a bit more organic like that in terms of being able to be, because one of the questions um, I've been asking people on this series is, you know, how much time would you spend inside and outside and you're studying compared to exercise and all that sort of thing. So, I mean, it sounds like the time thing, like you say, you could wake up and do watch cartoons and then study and that sort of thing. But when you actually then said, right, now I'm doing this piece of work, was that kind of then set in a particular place or was that quite flexible too? Yeah, that was really flexible. My mom really didn't care where we did our work as long as we were getting it done. So I usually did a lot of my work as kids do, you know, like laying on the floor, have your book open, reading or writing something, or I would sit on the couch or sometimes I would sit at the dining room table. So it really just depended on how I felt at the time. Um, and what was most comfortable for me. I will say that was that's probably one of the things where even now it's difficult for me to sit at a desk for a really long period of time uh, because I really didn't have to do that for very much in my life. <laughs> so transitioning to college wasn't as big a deal because college classes tend to be shorter and you know you have a various schedule. You're not just sitting in one seat for seven hours, for example. But um, like being at work, uh, and when I've had desk jobs, that's been very, very difficult. So I've always um, sought out work in my adult life where I don't have to sit at a desk for a long period of time because I've really just never gotten used to that. So, I mean, I think that's something that even, you know, teachers in classrooms, uh, I do think can apply in sort of creative ways is, you know, recognizing that that's I don't think it's really a natural thing for kids to sit for such a long time. And I think there can be a balance in having discipline and order in a classroom, which is really necessary, but then also, you know, giving children flexibility to be able to get up and move around and, um, physically change location even doing that can be really helpful yeah and I think the thing that really struck me then which I think is really interesting is that what often happens in school is the fact that 
um, students that need specific help and it needs to become personalised learning um, get the help they need if, if the school deems them to be struggling and whether that's just because they feel they need more help or whether it's because the tests are really important and they need to make sure the grades are high enough. I mean, it depends which side of the fence you want to look at that sort mm-hmm. of thing. Um, but that being said, that um, what you just said then about being able to move around the room actually is a way of really helping at that sort of personalised learning, even if you can't have completely individual strands of learning going through because there are too many people in the class. Being able to just maybe have more control as a pupil of where you're doing your work and as long as you then reply, um, make sure that you do that with a bit of discipline and a bit of understanding as well, um, hopefully you get a bit of a two-way street then. I think then you can have a little bit of personalised learning which you can actually have within a whole classroom as long as you're not being disruptive and, and, you, and you take that as, as a really positive thing. I think that would probably be a really good idea. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I can even say... Um, you know, related to this, but unrelated to homeschooling, um, being a psychologist and testing people, one of the things I do is ADHD evaluations for adults. So people who have not had a diagnosis yet, but feel that they've had it. And almost every single one of the adults that I have assessed has told me of struggles they had in school. And they had a turning point in usually in elementary school, where they were then able to be successful because a teacher, um, and they'll almost every single time, you know, they'll remember that teacher's name and they'll say, because this one teacher saw this potential in me and gave me that flexibility and helped me out. Um, And they will talk about how that one teacher, you know, either gave them extra things to do or let them get up or let them stand up while they did some of their work or let them get up and move around, you know, whatever those kind of minor things are that teacher made a really dramatic difference in this kid's life and really shifted things so that they were still able to be successful. And that's that's really good. I think we've all got one of those people, haven't we? And and as you say, it's that personalised connection, isn't it? Because they see you as a human being, not just one of a member of the class. And so therefore, that story, which that backstory of who you are and then um, them understanding who you are and what works for you. And then you've got a a real kind of team building going on um, between the, the, the student and the teacher. And I think from there on, anything is then possible. You know, it's not just about learning. It's actually about growing. And I think that's probably a really important part of of every one sort of school days absolutely um and what the thing i just um thought of there when you were talking about sort of teachers and how they do that how does um i mean a teacher is obviously a, a sort of a kind of a mentor and that kind of thing when you're being homeschooled um you said that you know your mum was sort of doing all of those things how do you feel that sort of mentoring idea or, or connecting with other people, which obviously you don't have on a daily basis with other teachers and more people within the school grounds. Do you sort of meet up with other people and do you have sort of a mentor or other people that you can spark ideas of or support you when you were being homeschooled? Yeah, and definitely people do this differently. There are a lot of homeschool organizations and homeschool communities, um, and they have various levels of involvement. So a lot of people will join one of those to do sports and even to um, to share classroom responsibilities. So for certain subjects, everyone might go to, you know, so-and-so's house and learn uh, science, for example, you know, from this one mom, um, which is usually the case um, because a lot of people who homeschool are actually uh, former teachers, too. So uh, so that's a common thing. For us, we tried that. We didn't really connect with a couple of the homeschool groups that were in our area. So my brother and I 
kind of told my mom, like, yeah, we're not really into it. Um, even though I am, as I think you've discovered, pretty extroverted and uh, from our time at Podcast Movement, which is a lot of fun. So I love to be around people, uh, which is a big reason that I loved school. And so that part, I will say I didn't necessarily miss the schooling part of, you know, being with other people because you are supposed to sort of sit quietly and do your own work and, and everything. Um, and I always, but I always made time to, you know, hang out with friends in my neighborhood. And thankfully we had, I was able to get that social aspect in my neighborhood or through our church. And as far as mentors go, that is where I would say more in high school, uh, we had a specific, uh, like group that we would be in. Um, our youth group had, small groups. I forget exactly what we called them. We called them something different, but they're, you know, groups of maybe like five to six teen girls. And we had one mentor and we would go through different things. So, uh, it was a really nice setting to get mentorship, not necessarily from education, although she did also happen to homeschool her children, um, which was rare in our, in our church and in our neighborhood actually. But, she ended up being very much a mentor to me throughout my high school years. So I did have someone like that where I, there was a different adult I felt I could go to for, for help or for support or, you know, even just for fun. Um, and I think, but I think when I was younger, I probably didn't have that quite as much. Yeah. I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I, and I think what I'm beginning to understand is that there's a much more of a blurred line between I'm now learning officially because I'm in school um, and I'm being part of the wider community because the two are slightly the same thing, I guess, because if you're able to be learning in someone else's house, like you said, because um, you're having sort of a group session and I guess with sports and those kind of things, that that's going to be that's going to be the case. And if you're in church and you've got an organisation outside of school, then it's it's much more natural. And, and, I've, and I've found, having spoken to some other people during the season, that actually the parents' role and actually the support and the community around it um, is really important. And actually there's a bit of a blurred line there too. And the, and the, yeah. the, the, the really important thing is, is that um, whatever you sort of take from school, because everybody's school is different, you know, the, the, the onus, ca- it does sort of boil down to the parents and also the people around it. And there's no right or wrong, but there is a kind of what do you need now? So if you're very academically... Um, base learning in school the things like you know when we've talked before about you know the exercise and and maybe mindfulness or volunteering or or being part of a sort of a wider community that sort of comes out of school because that's the particular opportunity Um, yet um, in the Overstone Primary School who I talked to at the beginning of this season they talk very much about the fact that they actually have um, people that um, get elected onto their sort of student body and they're able to organize things they go out to the community and organize a fence so that they get to interact with um, different aged people um, they really like their sort of school choir and all those things so that all of that's really interactive so therefore um, it does depend on your scenario doesn't it and I think actually certainly from my point of view I'm sort of often quite black and white about I think everything should happen in school and everything 
you know that you need to learn should be from that particular standpoint and we try and give the kids the best they can but actually maybe just sort of slightly allowing it to seep through to kind of a little bit like I said before about the story really if you understand what a child does outside of school whether it's a club whether it's an organization or a church or something that they're actually doing being able to bring that into school even if it's only in terms of a conversation it then starts to join it all up rather than just kind of now we're studying and now you're going home and I guess that's probably I guess that's probably a really important thing from from a student point of view as well and 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 I guess as you said being at homeschooled those things really just happen automatically as part of the same package really yeah yeah and I think it is I mean I think about being at church and also another really influential thing from middle school through most of high school was uh, I took art lessons and I will say, you know, my parents were always very good about wanting us to be involved in some type of sport or hobby or something like that. So we always took swimming lessons and I did a lot of swimming and my thing was art. So I would take art lessons and, um, my art teacher was definitely a big mentor for me. And there were some difficult things our family went through during sort of my junior high, early high school years and having that art teacher, Mr. Dufour, he was, you know, a really great mentor to me during that time as well. So I think it was really nice. And my mom even sort of reflected on that later, like, yeah, he was almost like your counselor, you know, (laughs) Um, because it, it was nice to have those outside resources and outside influences. Um, Even though my family was always, you know, really supportive, it, it was nice that they made sure I had other people that I could reach out to and that I was involved with. And I think, like you said, it really does come down to the parents' involvement. I mean, I think so many times people will want to, like in homeschooling communities, they'll want to tout off all of the great benefits of homeschooling and all of these statistics and how, you know, homeschoolers win the spelling bee and homeschool, you know, all the awesome things homeschoolers do. Right. Um, but I think the reason that homeschoolers do tend to do well academically really lies with the fact that their parents inherently and the fact that they're homeschooled are really involved in their education and are typically very invested in making sure that they are doing well. They're invested in checking up on things. They're not simply, you know, sending a kid off and expecting somebody else to do everything for them. So I think that's, that's a really, really important part of, of any kid's life. And obviously not all kids have that. And I think when teachers can provide that, when they notice that parents aren't, um, you know, I've seen that be really, really beneficial for people. Yeah, I mean, as, as a parent myself, that's that's definitely true because um, in that particular scenario, I was just thinking that, you know, we're incredibly hands-on um, and we're incredibly supportive, um, mm-hmm. but only to a point in as much as if, if, if there's something going on or, or a particular thing that we don't agree with, we sort of have a, a little bit of a, um, a line that we have to sort of, I guess, straddle in some ways because one, we want to make our kids independent and actually think for themselves. And one of the one of our big no nos is um is homework during holidays. I I believe that it's really important that you have downtime and the chance to reflect and a chance to sort of get your energy back and then sort of start again. Um, and so that always feels a little bit funny because that's almost going against the school because the school will still set homework. Um, so but at, at the same time, it's that kind of 
sometimes you want to support a piece of work but actually as a parent I don't actually understand what it is that they're trying to do or if it's math for example the particular route that they're taking to be able to get the answer you know it seems to be different than when I was at school and it seems to be different from when our older kids were in school as well and so therefore it's quite hard to be so sort of on top of it all because we don't actually know what we're doing we can support them to do their work but we're not necessarily as au fait with how you go about it if that kind of makes sense Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I hear so many people talk about that here. They're uh, doing what's called common core math. And it's a completely different way of, you know, I guess doing basic arithmetic. And so many parents feel really left out of the whole process, because they can't even they feel like they can't even do their third graders homework, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. And so and so yeah, so so then you sort of end up sort of you have to take a step back a little bit and you then have to say, well, we have to therefore allow the school to do what they're doing. That's what they're there to do. And, and that the teachers are you know, highly qualified and, and able to do that. Um, and I just wonder whether there there's, there's a real sort of nugget of, of, of something for teachers and for us all to take away is just maybe that, that dialogue between the school and the parents in terms of, they often do sort of evenings of, you know, this is what we're doing and why we're doing it and, and, and how we're teaching your children. But um, maybe there just needs to be a little bit more of understanding there um, in, in terms of, of how, how we can support those both on an emotional level so that actually we can support them to do the work they're doing, but also understand it a little bit more. Because then when they get frustrated, we can just give them that extra little bit of help and a little bit of support that maybe we can't do if we just turn around and say, well, I don't know how to do it. You'll have to just ask your teacher because then you sort of get a little bit of a, a stonewall scenario. And that's never really been very successful from our point of view as a parent, especially if it's been right. home, homework related, because the whole thing just comes to a grinding halt, you know, and um and so, yeah, I just wonder there as, as teachers whether just I don't quite know how you do that, but just having that slightly um, more of a transition between the parents understanding exactly what it is that the children need to do and maybe more of that. And, and I thought this before sometimes is that if the homework and, and stuff they do at home is much more directly linked to what they've been doing in school, the children are then often actually able to show the parents what it is that they've been doing and then they're just practicing or they're just enhancing a little bit of what they've done already rather than sometimes in my experience anyway the homework's come down and it's the start of a new topic and so they've sort of used it to kind of get the idea of this is what you're going to be doing but that's quite difficult then because then the onus is on the parent almost to start teaching it from the very beginning and then and then I think you want a little bit of a hiding to nothing because if you're not able to understand or set it off then the child is already on a little bit of a back foot and not sort of un- a little bit unsure about what they- what it is that they're going to try and progress through. Oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. A lot of sense and I think even involving parents as much as you can. I know not you know a lot of parents are working and so it's not like you can be at your child's school all of the time, but I do know that even when I was in school, you know, my mom knew our teachers really well. And when my, um, my dad had kind of an off schedule, uh, later on near, near the end when I was still in school. And so my parents, for example, would like come in and take me out for lunch. Um, and we would go out and have lunch in the middle of the day and then come back. And I remember the teacher at that school. And of course, this is one of the reasons we left. Um, but the teacher at that school thought it, that was a horrible idea for my parents to come in and take me out to lunch in the middle of the day. Um, and at, 
previous schools, that was always seen as a good thing because, you know, teachers are just noticing that, hey, my parents are involved. And it it also made my parents interact with my teachers more often because they were talking with them. And um, I did notice that was a huge shift when I was at that last school and it felt very, it felt more adversarial, you know, like the teacher against the parents versus in previous schools where my, whenever my parents came in, whether it was, you know, helping out with things, whether it was talking to my teacher, whether it was wanting to just sit down and have lunch with me at the school cafeteria, um, it was always welcome. And it was very much seen as, you know, we're in this together, we're working together. And I will say those teachers really seemed to enjoy what they were doing and seemed to want to do whatever was best for the kids in the school. Um, you know, and not necessarily look at this is how we're supposed to do things or you're, uh, you know, invading my territory. Yeah, I guess that's it, because it's really about familiarity, isn't it? Because if you're, if you're going into a school regularly to either do the pickup or to, like, say, to take them out to lunch or anything like that, then you have a much more general conversation happening all the time and the relationship's much easier. When the only mm-hmm. time you're going into school is because it's parents' evening or they're telling you how well your child is doing as part of their progress, then it becomes very much, well, you tell me this and I'll tell you that. Um, and, and the relationship then is very different between the parents and the teachers. And actually, I think that much more organic, more regular thing, especially as the child starts to grow up because obviously when they're tiny you're there much more in the playground dropping off and picking up but as they start to get older towards the end of primary school here you know sort of age sort of 9 10 11 that might be slightly different and especially I guess if you work and your and your child goes home with a um, um, an after school club or, or a babysitter or something like that then you you have even less um, direct access and I guess that probably makes quite a quite an, an important um, difference really um, yeah, and hopefully, I mean, hopefully technology, obviously this, you know, wasn't happening 20 years ago when I was in school, but um, I've heard of, you know, being able to email teachers and teachers having different things online where parents can then communicate and, you know, hopefully that can help with everyone's demands on time and maybe not being able to be available, but still increasing communication. Yeah, I think I think that's true. I think there's the there's the class dojo and, and those sorts of things over here in the UK, which have, have have really helped that kind of thing and that sort of ongoing um, scenario. Certainly in Tommy, our our son's um, school, everything is online. We can we know what he's had for lunch, um, which classes he's been <laughs> to, you know, how well he's done in his tests. Often before he even knows. So it's actually quite, uh, yeah. Certainly, all those things are available now, and, and like I say, the ability to email teachers directly as well, which uh, is probably good or bad depending on how much time and how many people are getting in contact. But uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and we had an interesting conversation last night. Actually, we were just staying while well, I was um, doing my show this week. Um, was chatting to my sister-in-law, and my brother-in-law, and um, and we were talking about the sort of the more practical skills which I would quite like to have learned in school you know one of the things you know I might be able to do algebra but one of the things I found hard to do having not had much opportunity was to how to put a shelf up straight you know what kind of um, <laughs> drill to use and that sort of thing so I'm just interested in, as, as a homeschooled person you know things did you sort of have specific lessons because you had the option to do things completely yourself you know once you got out of the academic arena um, did you have more practical things that you did 
which was technically part of your homeschooling or was that just more family life and I guess that might even go into sort of financial related things one of the questions I was asking on this season was talking about money and budgets and savings and financial planning and that sort of thing which often doesn't happen in schools unless they're doing a project of some description um, but did you sort of have that part of your sort of homeschool curriculum or was that just again that sort of blurred line between your general home life and actually your education yeah, I think it was more of a blurred line, stuff that probably would have happened regardless. Uh, I think the biggest difference was we did do a lot of trips. So since my dad had kind of an off schedule, um, pretty much through most of my life while we were homeschooled. And since we were homeschooled, that gave us flexibility to plan longer trips in the middle of the year. And so my family did travel a lot. So I'd say that was probably the biggest difference because we were able to go to Colonial Williamsburg, we were able to do a trip cross country and see all of these different things. And so we did get to experience a lot that we probably wouldn't have if we had had to stick with a regular school schedule. Um, but as far as other things, like, for example, you know, when I started working when I was 16 and had to do taxes, I mean, I think, you know, I would have been asking my parents for help with that regardless. Um, whether or not I was in school. So I can't think of other things that would be, that would really fit that mold, um, except for the travel. Yeah, and I guess that's, it's the, it's the freedom, isn't it? And that's the, that's the difference because, you know, you have, when it's just like, say, yourself and your brother and your family going on a trip, then you could just decide to do it and you've got no ties if you've got a class of 30 and then you've got all the expenses and the logistics of that. Um, you know, it's obviously much different, but I think it is true, certainly, that, you know, school trips are incredibly important. And I think that getting out of the classroom in whatever you can, and I think to make the sort of the correlation between the two types of learning, it's just being able to bring those things together. You know, any trips you can do really d does help. Any personalised learning that you can do really does help. Um, and anything you can just do to really bring that into the classroom to make the story of the child and also I think the idea of their progression and what it is that you're trying to do and how you can help them get to where they want to go or whatever they're trying to achieve um is key and i think i think that's probably where the similarities and and the ideas of where the two types of education come together and um yeah i think that, that that's a really important thing and it's really tricky as a, as a teacher to do that when you've got a whole class but i think part of it's just being mindful that maybe that's what we're aiming for that's what we can achieve and so when you're having that decision of oh should we go on that trip or not actually let's try and make it happen and you know can I just let this child have a bit more freedom and maybe you know, stand up for a few minutes while he's doing his class, uh, doing his work, or maybe go and sit in on the carpet and do an extra bit of work? Actually, just at least give it a go and see if it works for them. Because if it works for them, it's probably going to work for you because it will free up some of your time and your energy for the other people in your class as well. And and maybe that's the thing just to explore. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I would say you know to think outside the box as much as you can and and talk with other people. I can even think of one friend I know who's a, um, who was a teacher in a Montessori school and he would talk about, Oh, this, this one kid I have, he's, he's really, really smart and he's always finishing his work early. So my friend was going to the library and picking up books that he, about topics he knew the kid was interested in so that he could then give the kid something to do and continue learning. But it was, you know, based on this, this child's interests. And so I think when you see things like that, it's, there's always something you can do to try and personalize things a little bit for those kids that need it. Yeah, I think that's really, I think that's the, that's a really, that's a really 
a, a good place for us to kind of bring it bring it all through um to a close and to sort of tie those things up that's fantastic and if there's, if there's one piece of um information or advice you'd like to give our teachers listening in, in terms of what you've learned from having the experience of being homeschooled and being in school is there anything you'd like to impart for us i think i mean i don't know why but i think the thing that comes to mind first is that kids can tell when you enjoy being there and when they don't and when you don't um because i those are the memories i have because i had fewer teachers to remember yeah. right and um and i loved the teachers that loved being there and that wanted to teach me and wanted to help. And, um, and I noticed the teachers who I was typically a, a, a good kid, quote unquote. Um, and I noticed the teachers who maybe liked me, but treated other kids differently. Yeah. Um, and you know, so I took note of that and could tell when teachers didn't like certain kids or didn't want to be at work that day. Um, and that made a big impact, I think, on all of us in the classroom. Yeah. And that, I guess that really brings the whole idea of well-being and and actually being your best person that you then bring to your class and so it's one of the things that you often find um teachers you know they struggle with time we struggle with um energy we struggle with long terms and all of those things and lots of things to do and actually looking after yourself and putting yourself first so that you do get as much rest as you possibly can you know that you sort of feel like you're on your best day every day to the best of your ability you know despite all the things that we have to do that means that you can be your more authentic self and what that brings is much more than anything you can ever really write down or analyze and as you say because children do know and they can pick all those things up and that's something I'd like to explore certainly in the future just to to really sort of support you as teachers to be able to sort of be your best self all the way through the year not just as the new term starts but also when we get to the end of term and and everyone's starting to get exhausted how how do you do that how do you say no if you you really can't do any more stuff how do you how do you make sure that you know you've got as much energy as you can and and we'll talk more about that in in the coming season so uh that's brilliant. Thank you so much for being on, Melissa. I really, really appreciate your time. And, and it's really interesting both hearing sort of the idea of what it's like between the homeschool and school, but also the, the, uh, the American viewpoint as well. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information of each episode and to get in touch, go to educationonfire.com. Education is not the filling of a pail but the lighting of a fire.